I wanted to thank Miss Marcy for coming in and doing that, though. That was a huge blessing. So um, John chapter 3. So I'll give you a second to get there. And um, let's read John chapter 3. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he can enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day, and Lord, I pray that you'd help pastor as he comes to preach to us. Lord, I pray that you'd give him wisdom, and Lord, I just pray that you'd help everyone who's listening today to just um, have an open heart and to just really um, have the spirit to get something from this message, Lord. And uh, Lord, once again, uh, I pray that you give Pastor wisdom as he comes. Pray also in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we come to the most famous and familiar chapters in all of the Bible. Well, maybe Psalm 23 would be a close competitor. But uh, John chapter 3, of course, is most known for being the chapter that contains the most famous verse in all of Scripture, which is John 3 and verse number 16. But another fact about John chapter 3 is that we find two of the times when Jesus used the word must. And right now we're going through a series here on, on Sunday mornings uh, called Must of the Master. We're looking at the different instances in which Jesus used the word must, or word, the word must was used around the life of Christ. And uh, to, today we're in John chapter 3, and, and two times in this passage we uh, see the word must used by Jesus Christ. And this morning we're going to look at both of these instances. Both of these musts are part of the conversation between Jesus Christ and a man by the name of Nicodemus. Uh, the first instance, uh, Brother Blake just read it in verse number 7 of John chapter 3. It says this, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. So that's the first time in this passage the word must is used, and it's used in reference to the necessity of our spiritual birth, the new birth. And then also in verse number 14, as part of, again, the conversation between the Lord Jesus and Nicodemus, in verse number 14 it says, As Moses lifted up the ser serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So both of these instances are, are integral and very important for us to understand this morning. Um, so who was this man, Nicodemus, that Jesus had this very famous very familiar uh, dialogue with. Who was this Nicodemus? What was he like? Well, the Bible doesn't actually give us a lot of detail about uh, Nicodemus. In fact, his name is only mentioned five times in all of the Bible, and all of them occur in the book of John. Uh, but today I do want to zero in on this man Nicodemus and the conversation he had 
with the Lord Jesus, and hopefully we'll learn the same lessons that he learned that night so long ago. First of all, I want us to notice this morning his character. His character. What kind of man was this Nicodemus? Well, while the Bible doesn't give loads of information about his background, it does make us privy to a few details about his character. First of all, it mentions that he was a Pharisee. Look here in verse number 1 where the Bible says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. So Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Now what was a Pharisee? Well, the Pharisees back in those days were the most numerous and wealthy sect of the Jews. They derived their name from the Hebrew word Pharash, which signifies to set apart or to separate. Because they separated themselves from the rest of their countrymen and professed devoted them, and professedly devoted themselves to special strictness in religion. In fact, the Pharisees had developed a system of 613 laws, 365 negative commands, I guess one for every day of the year, and then 248 positive laws. And by the time Christ came on the scene... Uh, It had produced a heartless, a cold, and an arrogant brand of righteousness. In general, they were a corrupt, hypocritical, office-seeking, haughty class of men. The Pharisees really didn't like Jesus once he came on the scene. because, And the reason for it is because they exposed them to who they were. (laughs) Uh, Hypocrites who focused only on the externals of religion with no thought on the inward life. In fact, Jesus preached his most intense and scalding sermon to this group of people in Matthew chapter number 23. It was in that sermon that he referred to the Pharisees as hypocrites no less than seven times. He also referred to them as blind guides, as fools, as serpents, and a generation of vipers. Evidently, Jesus never read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, because he didn't make a lot of friends with the Pharisees. Well, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Uh, That's what the Bible says here in verse 1 of chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. This was the one in which Jesus had this very famous conversation with. He was a devout man, no doubt, and he was steeped in his religion. So Nicodemus, first of all, was a Pharisee. But secondly, I see here he also had tremendous power. He had power. Verse number one, the Bible says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So he wasn't just a Pharisee. No, actually, he was also a ruler of the Jews. If you drop down to verse number 10, the Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel? And knowest not these things? So Nicodemus had tremendous power. He was a master there in Israel. He was also a ruler of the Jews. What does that mean? Well, he was a part of the Sanhedrin. Maybe you've heard that before. Uh, The Sanhedrin was a great council of the nation. This was equivalent to our Supreme Court. And uh, he was one of 70 members of this group. Look, when Nicodemus walked the streets... There in Jerusalem, I mean, people recognized him. They respected him. Well, I don't know if they respected him or liked him in that way, but they certainly feared him. 
I was reading this week about the power that these members of the Sanhedrin had. They really could do anything uh, they wanted to short of capital punishment. That was the one thing that was withheld from their power. And, uh, but beyond that, they could do what they wanted. And he, no doubt, Nicodemus, had many servants and many students under him. He had tremendous power and authority. So Nicodemus was quite different from the woman at the well in Samaria that we looked at last Sunday from John chapter 4. So it goes to show that Jesus cares about both the rebel of Romans chapter number 1 and the religious moral man in Romans chapter 2 and the man by the name of Nicodemus. These two people show that each of us are under sin and desperately need of a Savior, desperately need to be born again. So we see, first of all, Nicodemus's character, who he was. This was the one who Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That was the man who that verse was addressed to. And I'm so thankful that that Nicodemus came and uh, Jesus was able to have that conversation with him because it did give us that precious jewel in the word of God of John 3.16. So we see his character, but I want us to notice, secondly, his curiosity. Verse number one says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. See, in spite of his religion, in spite of his power and position, Nicodemus understood that there was something missing from his life. And he suspected that Jesus, this this newcomer on the scene, knew what that something was. So he set up a meeting at night, and and boy, there's a lot of speculation as to why he chose the night. Was it because he was afraid? Was it because he was simply being cautious? Was it it that was the only time he could get to Jesus? I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of information on why, but he did come to him by night. In fact, the other times that The Bible refers to Nicodemus. It it talks about how he was the one who came to Jesus by night. It mentions that the other couple times in the book of John. Which, by the way, spoiler alert, we're going to look at those here in a few minutes. But in spite of all that he had, he understood that something was missing in his life. Now, the Lord began to work in the heart of this Pharisee, this member of the Sanhedrin. Uh, What was it that caused him to converse with This Jesus of Nazareth. Well, your Bible's open to John chapter 3 if you just either flip a page or look over to chapter 2. And uh, I want us to kind of notice what takes place prior to Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night. What was it that caused him to converse with Jesus? What was it that motivated him to come and set up this meeting? Well, the beginning of chapter 2 uh, records the, the very first miracle that Jesus ever did, the first public miracle that he ever did, which was turning the water into wine there at the marriage in Cana. In verse number 11, the Bible says this, This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. So this was the first public ministry or public miracle that he did, basically ushering in his public ministry, basically starting his public ministry. And it was at that point that he knew that 
his fame was going to spread and, and his ministry was really going to begin. I, I imagine that, that the news of that began to spread around. I mean, it went a little bit viral. Okay, well, uh, that happened. And then, um, then Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum for a bit. And then Jesus comes to Jerusalem for the Passover. Okay, he gets to Jerusalem and there he begins to make quite the name for himself. Uh, when he walked into the temple in uh, verses 13 down through, oh, uh, let's see here, uh, verse 17. Uh, he, gets, he walks into the temple and found people using the temple as a flea market. So he famously poured out the merchant's money and overthrew their tables. And this obviously, again, made the evening news, no doubt, and went viral. Uh, began to spread around that this Jesus of Nazareth is, is causing cu- quite an uproar. And then in verse 23, look at this if, of chapter 2. It says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. Now John doesn't give us a lot of the details on what these miracles were. In fact, later in the book of John, we, we learn that if he was to record or people were to record everything that Jesus did, the world wouldn't be able to contain the scrolls of all the things that Jesus did. It just simply says in verse 23, uh, when Je- they saw the miracles which he did. So Jesus was performing a lot of different miracles. And of course, his name was beginning to spread around and uh, mess up the status quo. And so I don't know what it was exactly. I don't know which miracle it was. I don't know if it was the turning over of the tables. I don't know if it was the miracles uh, there in verse 23 that are referred to. But one way or another, the Lord got a hold of Nicodemus's heart and said, you're missing something, buddy. Your religion isn't enough. Your power isn't enough. Your authority isn't enough. You're missing something from your life. Now, what about you? What has God been using in your life to create some curiosity? I would imagine there's some watching this morning who the Lord's been working in your heart to create some curiosity about Jesus Christ, maybe about Christianity, about uh, church and, and about the Bible. And, and maybe the Lord's been using something. Maybe he's been using this whole ban- pandemic in your life to uh, maybe think about eternal things, maybe to think about hey, what, what would happen if I got this a disease and I didn't make it? What, what would happen to me? Where would I go? Uh, maybe the Lord is using some things in your life. Maybe he's used a coworker that you have that's uh, maybe invited you to uh, watch some of these videos, uh, watch our live stream. Uh, maybe he's used uh, the testimony of a neighbor. I don't know. Maybe he's using something, though, like he did with Nicodemus to create some curiosity in his life. The great thing is, Jesus promised that those who have this curiosity, as they ask, it will be given him. Uh, those who seek shall indeed find, and those who knock, the door will be opened to them. And so as you're seeking, just like Nicodemus is about to find out, as he was seeking for truth, he ended up finding that truth. And I, and I pray and hope that your heart is open to the truth, because it's about to be shared with you this morning. So we see his character, we see his curiosity. But then thirdly, I want us to see uh, today from this passage his confusion. His confusion. As Jesus begins to pour truth into the life of Nicodemus, 
and to give him what he's been asking for every time we see Nicodemus responding with confusion. And verse number three is uh, after Nicodemus says, hey, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. No, No man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Verily, verily, Jesus said unto him in verse 3, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So that was the first truth that Jesus was trying to communicate to Nicodemus. He's basically saying, look, your religion's not enough, Nicodemus. Uh, All the rules and regulations that you focus on uh, meeting all the time, they're not enough. You need to be born again. Well, that confused Nicodemus. In verse number 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? He said, This is impossible. I don't understand what you're saying. And and so Nicodemus' confusion led Jesus to give three very important illustrations to illustrate the truth that everyone needs to be born again. So what were these illustrations that he gave? He first of all gives the physical illustration of birth. A physical illustration. In verse number 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not, then I say unto thee, ye must be born again. So he gives, he gives this physical illustration of birth. Um, of course, I don't remember my own birth, um, but I'm thankful that I was born. <laughs> Evidently it happened, okay? Um, I, but I don't remember it, and, and I'm sure you don't either. But I do remember all four of our children and, and the day that they were born. I remember how special and wonderful that was. Um, so there was a, the, 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 it was a special event, it was a special moment when, when these children were born and when you were born physically. But what Jesus is talking about is not the physical birth, he's talking about now a new birth. And, and just like a physical birth happens in a moment, uh, a spiritual birth can happen in a moment as well, a moment of belief and trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, when you were born, you are born into a family. Um, my children were born, and, and they have me as their father. And then when uh, Mark was born, he was born into a family with uh, two brothers and a sister. Now, when someone is born spiritually, they're born into another family as well, uh, a spiritual family. And look, you may not have had a good relationship with your earthly father, but when you get born again... When you are born spiritually, then you get a new father. Uh, yes, you still have your earthly father, but you have now the heavenly father. You have a good, gracious, loving, faithful father who will never leave you nor forsake you, who will provide for your every need. So you get a new father when you are born again. You also get a new set of siblings when you are born again. Now, I have a physical, I have a uh, earthly sibling, my brother Mike. Um, pray for him. He's a he's a Los Angeles Rams fan. Um, I'm just not sure why he would choose them, but uh, he he and I are good friends. We get along. We didn't so much when we were growing up, 
Um, but I love my brother, and, and, and I enjoy spending time with him. He's out in California. But look, when I became a Christian, when I was born again, I got a whole slew of new brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, what a blessing it is to have a spiritual family as well as a physical, earthly family. And many times, and I've heard this many times from Christians throughout my life who have said, you know, my spiritual family is a lot closer to me than my, even my earthly family. Now, I think having a close relationship with an earthly family is important and necessary, and, and boy, you ought to do what you can to cultivate that, those relationships, but there is something special about the spiritual family in Christ. There is something, a common bond, and of course, that is, that is Jesus Christ, is that common bond that we have with one another. Uh, we can come from all kinds of different backgrounds. We can come from all kinds of different uh, shapes and colors and all of that. But boy, we have that common bond in Christ, and it is an unbreakable bond. And it's a wonderful, lovely bond. So Jesus gives the physical illustration of birth. And, and I, and I want to stop and say this on verse number 7. He said, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Now notice again, he used the word must, and that's the word we're highlighting in this whole series. A must gives the idea that it's a requirement, it's a necessity. Uh, you must be born again. In fact, he said in verse number uh, three, if you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse number um, in verse number five, he said, except a man be born of water. By the way, that's a reference to the physical birth. And then of the Spirit, that's the spiritual birth when you become a Christian, the moment that you believe on Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Then if you do not, if you do, not do that, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So it's the only way that you can get to heaven is by being born again. There is no other way. You can't earn your way. And what he was telling Nicodemus, who was Mr. Religion, said, you can't be good enough, Nicodemus. There's no way for you to earn your way into the kingdom of God. It's impossible. There's only one way, and you've got to be born again. You must be born again. It's not a, you should try that. He wasn't giving him a suggestion, a recommendation, some good advice. No, this was an absolute requirement to be born again. So, friend, can I ask this question to you? Have you been born again? Has there been a moment in your life when you placed your faith in Christ alone for your salvation? If not, I want to encourage you to choose today to get born again. Now, notice the word again. Uh, again, I've, I've been, born, I've been born, born twice. I was born on September 22nd, 19... Oh, am I going to really give you the year I was born? Because you're all going to do the math. I'll give it to you. 1976, that was the day that I was physically born. But then also, I was also born again. I was born again spiritually on December 25th, 1988, when I was 12 years old. That was the day that I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What about you? Have you been born again? Have you been born again? So he gives, first of all, a physical illustration of what the truth that Jesus is trying to, uh, to communicate to Nicodemus, he's confused. So the Lord gives him some illustrations. He gives him a physical illustration of the new birth. But then he also gives the, a natural illustration in verse number 8. 
He said, the wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now, this particular illustration should be for easy for us to understand here in Oklahoma. <laughs> we know what wind is here. <laughs> We're pretty familiar with it. In fact, we became pretty familiar with it last year when one windstorm knocked over one of our Bradford pear trees down. And uh, we now have a stump sitting up in our uh, backyard as a reminder of the wind and what the wind can do here in Oklahoma. Um, I guarantee no one watching or listening today has, um, even though all of us understand what wind is, nobody has ever seen wind. Nobody. You say, well, no, I've, I've seen some little minor naders, and maybe some of you might remember the one in, in 2013 that destroyed a good chunk of, of more Oklahoma. And you say, I saw that wind. It was all dirty. No, no, you, you, saw, the, you saw the effect of that wind. You see, uh, no one has seen wind. Uh, we've all seen the effects of wind, though. We've seen the trees blowing. We see the patio furniture turning over. Remember when we were living in Montana, you, you don't really think of Montana as being windy, but, uh, but there, we got some pretty good windstorms there, too. And uh, there was one day when we were in Montana that the wind blew our trampoline from our backyard all the way to our front yard. And uh, my wife had to hold it down while I was on my way to come help her. Uh, the wind can do some pretty amazing things. We see the effects of wind. So it is, as Jesus said, for those who are born of the Spirit. You cannot see the Spirit, but you can see the effect the Spirit has on someone's life. You can see that what a man used to be has been completely changed. Paul said it this way, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know, the things that I used to say, I don't say them anymore. The places I used to go, oh, I don't go, them any, go there anywhere, anymore. The, the things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. You see, the, 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 the changes that have taken place is all as a result of the Holy Spirit. And uh, while you can't see the Holy Spirit, you can see the effect the Holy Spirit is having in someone's life. And so he gives this natural illustration of the wind. But then he gives a scriptural illustration all the way down in verse number 14. He said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever, verse 15, believeth in him, should not perish but have eternal life. And so Jesus now gives Nicodemus a picture to challenge him to believe. A picture that he could relate to. Jesus reminded him of the time when the Israelites had sinned against God all the way back in Numbers chapter 21. And it was then that they were being bitten by poisonous snakes and as a result of those bites were dying. Well, God told Moses then to put up an image of a snake on a pole and to hold it up. And anyone who looked at the snake on the pole was saved and healed. Well, how can we be born again? Well, Jesus must be lifted up. Because it says in verse 14, As Moses uh, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus must be lifted up in His crucif crucifixion and His glorification and His resurrection. 
So when Jesus was lifted up there on the cross and hung between heaven and earth, there hanging on that old rugged cross, that's when Jesus was lifted up. And then we simply need to look and live. Then in verses 16, verse 16 here, he tells us and instructed Nicodemus and us how he could be born again, what it was that we needed to do. Verse number 15, it says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 16, again, the very famous chapter, verse 16 here, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The key word here is believe. Jesus used the word believe and believeth multiple times as he goes through how a person can be born again. Oh, this thought of believing in Christ is repeated several times in the Word of God. In fact, John chapter 1, uh, we're in John chapter 3. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. See, it's not something we have to do. It's something we need to believe <laughs> Acts chapter 16 and verse 31, as the uh, jailer there at Philippi uh, was looking at Paul and Silas after the great earthquake and said, what must I do to be saved? Their response wasn't, go join a church, get baptized, tithe, uh, read your Bible, pray every day. No, that's not what they decided to tell them. They told him to simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Friend, how do we be born again? Nicodemus was asking, how can I be born again? The answer is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 36 of John chapter number 3 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Uh, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Believing is not just a mental assent of who Jesus is, but a trusting in him and what he did for you on the cross of Calvary and the fact that he rose again the third day and you're trusting in him and him alone for your, your eternal salvation. Has there been a time in your life? Has there been a moment when you were born again? And so we see his confusion. But then, number four, I want us to see his conversion. His conversion. What happened to Nicodemus after this dialogue? Well, verse 21 kind of ends the dialogue, and then all of a sudden, verse 22, there's a break. We don't know what happens to Nicodemus, or at least not here in John chapter 3. You'll have to kind of go to John chapter 7 and 19 to figure out what happened to Nicodemus after this conversation. First of all, I want us to see here regarding his conversion, the event of his conversion. As Jesus goes through this very famous passage of Scripture, we actually do not find the instance or the moment or the event when Nicodemus became a Christian and believed on Jesus Christ. But we can speculate that shortly after this encounter with Jesus, he made the decision to indeed believe on Jesus Christ. I mean, can you imagine being the one to hear John 3.16 for the first time. The first person to hear John 3.16 from the very lips of Jesus Christ. Unbelievable. I would have 
hoped that I would have received the Lord and believed on him right that moment. And uh, I can't help but speculate that Nicodemus did that while we don't have record of that. But my question to you and the reason I bring up the event of his conversion is this. Can you think back to an event, a, a moment, a time in your life when you believed on Christ, when you were born again? As I mentioned, I have two birthdays. September 22nd, 1976. And yes, I'm 43 years old if you didn't if you were still trying to figure that out. But then I have my spiritual birthday, and that was 31 years ago in 1988 on Christmas night. That was the moment that I was born again when I placed my faith in Christ and Christ alone and what he did for me on the cross of Calvary and what he did for me in the resurrection. I believed that. When were you born again? When was the event of your conversion? Uh, most of you maybe have heard of a preacher of yesteryear named D.L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody. Well, thousands of people came to know the Lord and salvation, were born again through his meetings, through his ministry. As he approached the end of his life, he viewed heaven as something to greatly anticipate. Here's what he wrote. He said, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tentment into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto His glorious body. D.L. Moody said, I was born of the flesh in 1837, but I was born of the Spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die, but that which is born of the Spirit will live forever. Okay, have you been born of the Spirit, friend? If not, you can have it all. But if you miss that, you've missed it all. Because really, friend, that is the most important thing. So that's the event of his conversion. And again, we don't have record of when that happened exactly. But I hope that you have record of when it happened for you. I hope that you can think back. You may not remember the exact day, but can you remember a time in your life when you believed on Christ, when you trusted Him completely for your eternal salvation? So we see the event of His conversion. But then secondly, I want us to see here the evidence of His conversion. What was the evidence that Nicodemus indeed was converted and became a follower of Christ? Well, as I mentioned, we're going to look at those two other instances in which Nicodemus is mentioned, uh, John chapter number 7. John chapter 7 and verse number 45 send, says this, Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and remember Nicodemus was among that group because he was a Pharisee. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto him, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them of the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? They wanted to kind of know, has anybody in this group believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. But then here it is, verse number 50. Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? 
They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went into his own house. See, there was a moment here in Nicodemus' life where he, in many ways, stood up for the Lord. He said, let's not, let's not judge him before we hear him. Remember, innocent until proven guilty. Um, and so that's basically what Nicodemus was doing right there and, and showing a little bit of cautious defense is what he was doing there for the Lord. But then we go to all the way to John chapter number 19. And if you turn over there, I want you to see this as well. This is the final time we find Nicodemus in the Bible. But we see him ministering in a very special, unique way in a very difficult moment. John chapter 19 is the record of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. In verse number 37 it says, And again another scripture saith, They shall look on him whom they have pierced. And at this point Jesus was dead. Well, verse 38, After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And then here's Nicodemus again in verse 39. There came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. And they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher wherein never man yet laid. There laid they, Jesus therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. So here we find Nicodemus really at the graveside service of Jesus Christ. And really, it was a pretty intimate group of people. There wasn't a big crowd there. Uh, evidently, they had uh, guidelines as well on no more than 10 in a group back in those days. No, not really. It was just there weren't a lot of people around for the burial of Christ. Yet Nicodemus was. Very, very interesting. But not only was he present, he was also very generous in what he was in his part in his part that he played verse number 39 he brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes about a hundred pound weight so he brought the spices in in many respects he helped pay for the burial expenses for Jesus Christ he was willing to sacrifice his own money his own financial possessions for the lord he was willing to be generous for the lord's sake now, it is interesting, just a quick side note here. Verse number 39, uh, when uh, Nicodemus brought these spices, one of them was myrrh. And if you recall, that was one of the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus there in Bethlehem's manger. And so uh, that myrrh that they gave him that day, that, that, that Christmas morning, Christmas night, uh, signified the fact that one day he was going to be crucified and he was going to be buried. And uh, that here is uh, fulfilled in verse 39 here. But Nicodemus was willing to give. He was willing to sacrifice. And he was willing to show some great compassion for the situation and be willing to dig into his own pocketbook and help with the cause. Uh, would someone who is an enemy of Christ be interested in that? No. A follower of Christ, a disciple of his would be. And so 
I would say that there is no question in my mind that Nicodemus was indeed a believer. After hearing what he heard in John chapter 3, and then, and then his cautious defense in John chapter 7, and then now his tremendous sacrifice in John chapter 19, there was some evidence that indicated that Nicodemus really was converted. Now, it does bring up a good point here that the overwhelming emphasis of Scripture when talking about a Christian is not necessarily on the moment of salvation. Yes, that moment is important. Yes, the event of your conversion is important. But the results of that salvation are also important, and that's the overwhelming emphasis of Scripture. Yes, there is mention of the moment, but again, the emphasis is on the aftermath of that decision. Uh, Nicodemus is a perfect example. The Lord didn't make us privy to, you know, and Nicodemus believed on Christ. I kind of wish the Lord would have put that in there, but he chose not to. Uh, But he did choose to put in some evidence, the aftermath of the decision that he evidently made. Um, Lots of people remember the event, but there's really not a lot of evidence after the fact. Lots of people remember uh, making a profession of faith when they were a little child, maybe going forward at a church and praying at the altar. But for many, there's no evidence of that decision. They may think back, oh yeah, I guess I I, I do remember uh, back when I was a kid, but then their life now doesn't, there's no evidence at all. Look, if you really have been born again, then there should be some real evidence, some real fruit in your life. James said this in his uh, epistle in chapter 2. He said, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? No, we're not saved by works. In fact, we're saved by grace through faith alone. It is not anything that we can do in order to achieve or earn salvation. But... Once we are saved, we are saved unto good works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, most of us are familiar with that uh, passage that says, look, we're, we're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then the very next verse says, but ye are, uh, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So we were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We were not saved by works, but we were saved to work. You see the difference. Nicodemus understood that, that he wasn't, he wasn't trying to do all this in order to gain God's favor. No, he was he, because he had already received God's favor through belief in Christ. Now that's why he was willing to sacrifice. That's why he was willing to cautiously defend the Lord there in John chapter 7. Dr. H.A. Uh, Ironside was a preacher again of yesteryear. And uh, he, there's a story here about him that I want to share with you this morning. He, he preached a certain place. He noticed a man in the crowd writing on a card, which he presently handed to the speaker. So Dr. Ironside is the preacher here, and, and somebody in the crowd hands him a card. The man was Arthur Lewis, an agnostic lecturer, and he proposed a challenge to the speaker to debate the subject. Agnosticism versus Christianity, and offered to pay all expenses involved. Well, Dr. Ironside read the card aloud to his audience and then said, I accept, 
on these conditions. First, that you promise to bring with you to the platform one man who was once an outcast, a slave to sinful habits, but heard you or some other infidel lecture on agnosticism, was helped by it and cast away his sins and became a new man and is today a respected member of society all because of your unbelief. Second, that you agree to bring with you one woman who was once lost to all purity and goodness, but who can now testify that agnosticism came to her while deep in sin and implanted her in poor heart a hatred of impurity and a love of holiness, causing her to become chaste and upright, all through a disbelief in the Bible. You do that, and we'll agree. He said, now, sir, he continued, if you will agree, I promise to be there with 100 such men and women, once just lost souls who heard the gospel of the grace of God, believed it, and have found new life and joy in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Will you accept my terms? As might be expected, the atheist could only walk away silently. Because there's nobody that's been changed by unbelief, but there's been countless people who have been changed because they have belief. Because they have been born again. And the evidence is there. One question that maybe you've heard before, but I'd like to ask it this morning. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Is there enough evidence in your life that would convict you of being a Christian? All right, well, let's wrap it up this morning with with this question. What's our takeaway from this message today? You must be born again. Whether you like the sinful woman at the well in John chapter 4 or the moral religious man in John chapter 3, you must be born again. If you've never been born again, you must be, or you cannot see the kingdom of God. When was the event? If you can say, I don't think there's ever been an event in my life when I was born again. I don't know of a day, I don't know of a time in my life when I place my full faith and trust in Christ. Can I recommend today, April 26, 2020? You say, why today? Because according to the Bible, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Why today? Well, because thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. None of us are guaranteed another day, another hour, another minute. There is some tremendous urgency in the Bible about making the decision to come to Christ. I don't want to put undue pressure, but I do want to encourage you. Uh, Every day you wait is a gamble. Do you really want to gamble with eternity? There is an urgency to be born again before it's eternally too late. Jesus asked this question. I mean, Nicodemus had it all, right? He had religion. Everybody thought he was a good person. He had tremendous power and and authority and influence. He had a lot. No doubt he had tremendous possessions as a result. He had it all. You say, boy, if I could just get it all, then I would be happy. Well, Jesus asked this question in his gospel. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And Nicodemus was in danger of that. He was in danger of having the whole world but losing his own soul. But I praise the Lord that Nicodemus made the right choice to be born again. 
those who are seeking to try to get this whole world, I'm friend, you're and, and, and you miss you miss heaven, you've missed it all. Don't miss heaven. Make sure that you're born again. Make sure you're born again. And for those of us who have been born again, does your life give evidence of that? Does your life give evidence of that? Let's pray together.